Today's sermon text is Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. It can be found in the Bible in the rack in front of you on page 978. Hear the word of the Lord. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. It's good to be back up here and see you again after a few weeks being out. Um, I know Kyle's not in the room, so I'll have, I've thanked him. Uh, I'd encourage you just to thank him later. I'll just tell you, as a, as a pastor, it's a gift to have multiple people who can preach God's words, but it's not just like a gift to me so that I can go on a vacation with my family. It's a gift to a church. It's a huge gift to a church to have multiple men who can faithfully preach God's word. Don't don't take that for granted. Uh, so if you've not, uh, when you see Kyle, give him thanks for preaching faithfully for the past couple of weeks. Uh, let me let me open us this morning in prayer as we go to God's word together. Heavenly Father, we want to walk in Your ways and delight in Your paths. So would you help us to see that clearly today through your text? Would you show us Christ and through your spirit, would you help us to know what is good and right, what you have told us? And so now, Lord, would you make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight? O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. On May 1st of uh, this past year, a few months ago, a small aircraft crashed in the Colombian jungle. It made news in the area, didn't really make news everywhere else. Small plane crashes happen. But this week, 40 days after that plane crashed, four children who survived the crash were found alive in the jungle of Colombia. The oldest, a 13-year-old girl named Leslie, she used her knowledge of the jungle and indigenous plant life to keep alive for 40 days. Her 9-year-old and 4-year-old brothers, and get this, she kept alive an 11-month-old baby for 40 days in the jungle. Now, information is still coming out about the harrowing ordeal but that kind of wilderness smarts, that kind of story doesn't just get attention in Colombia. It kind of goes throughout the world because we all love a survival story. We all love to hear the story of someone who's kind of thrown into the midst of dire circumstances. Doesn't choose them, but just has them foisted upon them. But who in the end comes out on top despite the odds. Now, living in Metro Birmingham, I assume that unless you live really close to the church, you probably drove here. 
And that means that your life is not quite in the same kind of dire circumstances physically as these four children were. But even if our physical circumstances, if, if the lives we lead can be maybe somewhat cushy at times, we can recognize, can we not, can we not recognize that the world in which we live, it presents challenges that we are sometimes even blind to. Things that, that are coming against us that we don't even see sometimes. And so surviving and even thriving as a follower of Jesus, it, it's not just a walk in the park. Okay, one of, one of the, the lies maybe you've heard or maybe even has been told to you is that becoming a Christian makes life easy. If you've heard that, read the Bible some. You'll find very quickly that's not the case. Live some as a Christian and you'll find that that's not the case. And so this morning, what we'll see from our text is that if we want to live faithfully, we want to not just survive, but to thrive in the days that God has given us. We need God's spirit and his wisdom so that we can walk in this way. So here is the main point of our text this morning. Living as Christians, living as Christians in evil days requires spirit-filled wisdom. Living as Christians in evil days requires spirit-filled wisdom. And my prayer for you, what I've been praying this week, is that as we look at God's word, that we would be filled with his spirit, that he would use his word to submit our lives to him. So that whatever circumstances you come to in the days ahead, we can live wisely, submitted to him. Okay, so this text is broken down nicely in kind of two sections, two main sections. You'll see that as we go through. And the first set of commands that Paul gives us here is to walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. That's verses 15 through 17. And before we dive into that command and explore some of what that looks like, I want us to just kind of begin by paying attention to the why. Why is it that we need to hear this, to walk in wisdom? Uh, kids, this is your participation point. I want you to raise your hands if your parents or a grandparent or somebody has ever said to you, are you making wise choices? Or I want to be sure you're making a wise choice and not an unwise choice. Have your parents ever said something like that to you? Oh, lots of hands. Great. Okay. <laughs> and some parents grabbing hands and putting them there. Good. Wonderful. That will count. Uh, raise your hand. What are some reasons that your parents tell you that? What is the reason that maybe your parents tell you that? Make a right decision. Okay. Other reasons? Love. Thank you, Ron. Uh, maybe they tell you that to avoid consequences, right? They, they don't want you to get injured or, you know, have even punishment. If that's something they say you're disobedience, this is what happens. But I want you to look carefully. Those, those are good reasons, by the way. Kids, listen to your parents. Make wise choices. I want us to look at here in this text why Paul tells us we should live and walk as wise. So look at verses 15 and 16 again with me. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. And here, here is the answer. Why? Because the days are evil. Okay, so our time, our days, they, they don't just drift Toward goodness and toward wholeness. They, our days, the time, it drifts towards evil, we're told here. 
And I, I think this is a truth. If you are younger, you may need convincing of this, but again, just live a few more years and I don't think that I need to do lots of convincing for most of you in the room. You've, you've sat across from the doctor who has said, hey, the, the scans from your biopsy came back and it, it's not good. Or, or you have been told by your employer, you know, we're doing some downsizing and your skills are no longer needed. There are people in the room over the past, uh, or in our church at least, over the past couple of weeks who have buried parents. Some of you have buried spouses and even children. We should be thankful that God does not deem that every day has kind of this pallor of evil about it. We're grateful, right, for graduations and weddings and childbirths and enjoyable vacations. But but the bent of the world, the, the way in which it naturally flows, because it is broken by sin, is not towards wholeness. It doesn't just go to getting back together again. It's like putting a puzzle on the the table and saying it's not just going to get better. It gets more confused the more it spreads out. The bent of the world is now towards pain and fracture. Ultimately towards death itself. And that's, that's not just true about sorrow and pain and loss. It's true about sin as well. Friends, we, we don't just drift to holiness. You, you won't drift toward holiness in this life. If the world is broken and rebellious and we just say, I'm, I'm going to go with the flow, the passage of time and culture is going to make me more holy, we will just float further downstream away from the godly purpose that God has created us for. Now, for, for those of you who are trusting in Christ alone for salvation, Paul's hope in this, and my hope in telling you this, is not to break your spirit right, and make you joyless and hopeless. We're not Debbie Downers always moping about because of the wickedness in the world around us or even the sin that we see inside of us. Remember elsewhere, earlier in this letter, Paul over and over, he has called for thanksgiving. We'll do that in a few minutes as well. He's called for hope and said, you have an amazing future as those who trust in Jesus. So we should not be joyless because of this. But we should be sober-minded. We need to be sober-minded. Even remember what the, the last kind of verse of last week's text says. If you look back up there, what does it say? Awake, O sleeper. Wake up. Have the right lens. See what is going on around you. Understand the situation of the world in which we live. That the days drift towards evil. Now, maybe for some of you here this morning, you, you, you may be here and you're not a Christian. We're so thankful you came and joined us this morning. If you were invited by a friend, just know that you have a, you're welcome here with us. Uh, some of you may be here and you, you, you are a Christian. You would say you're a Christian. You, you've been baptized. You maybe even have joined a church. But, but if you're honest kind of about your spiritual life, if you take a step back and just look at the past few months, maybe years, you would say that, that your spiritual life could be characterized by that kind of word, drift, drifting. Just drifting, going along with the flow of those who you are around or how you feel. And for my question for you is, if that is you, would you say you've drifted more towards holiness or more toward worldliness? And I, I may not know you, but I'm willing to bet that I know the answer to that question. 
And if that's you, I'd love to encourage you. Take time today. Examine your life. Have you drifted? Have you, have you staked your hope, your trust fully on Christ? Or, or in your time apart, in your drifting, have your hopes drifted from Him to someone or something else? Because the sobering reality of the sex, the good news for you who are in Christ, if you're in Jesus, the joy that we have is not just that like these days are going to be great. You're going to have some great days here. There's lots of joy that the evil days here are followed by everlasting joy forever. The sobering truth, if you're not trusting in Christ, is that these evil days are as good as it is going to get. And friend, we do not want that for you. And and the Lord does not want that for you. It, It is perhaps why you are here today in God's sovereignty that you would hear this and know that there is a way out. And it is through who we have sung to and what we have sung about all morning. It is through trusting and knowing Christ. So if you are here and you are not a Christian, or even if you would say, you know what, I do feel like I've just been drifting along for months or years, we would love to talk to you. Okay, you could come find me after this service. You can talk to David, talk to any of our elders. Talk to If you were invited here by a friend who's a Christian, just go to lunch sometime this week with them and say, I want to know what it's like. I want to be intentional in following the Lord. We would love to have the chance to talk to you about how we can find wisdom in trusting in Christ and how you can have a hope in the future. These evil days don't have to be all there is for you. There is more. Okay, so the, the days are evil. They naturally push us toward wickedness and brokenness. And because of that, we as Christians, this text is really calling us to swim against that current and to live wise lives. That's the why of wisdom. Why do we have this here? Because of that. And then Paul is going to give us two kind of emphases on how. How then do we live wisely? First, living wisely requires biblically based intentionality. Biblically based intentionality. Uh, My dad is a graphic artist. He's done that. He did that for years. He's a wonderful, uh, artist too. He's got a, a degree in art and I, I used to love looking at his paintings sitting in our, our home growing up. Uh, I played sports in high school. I didn't, I wasn't really into art, but then in college I thought, you know what, I'm going to see if I have the gift. So I bought some sketchbooks, I bought some pencils and I thought, I'm just going to sketch some and surely there's something good coming. Didn't have a teacher, didn't have a plan, but thought maybe this is how it would work. And after a few months of owning some sketchbooks and some pencils and doing a few sketches every now and then, guess what? I was, and I am, still a terrible artist. But it's because I, I didn't, I didn't really try. I didn't make a plan. I didn't, I didn't even tell. I was talking to Laura about this last night. I don't think I even told Laura I was doing this because I was pretty embarrassed by it. And so nothing, nothing happened. There was no intentionality behind it. Now, over, over the past couple of years, I've decided, just in contrast to this, I've decided, you know, maybe I need to find some sort of means of regular exercise, so I've taken up running. And in doing that, I've, I've spent some time talking with friends who are runners. I've looked up plans on how to make a 
routine to run. I've signed up for races. I've told others so that the embarrassment would actually help me get better. And guess what? I'm, I'm a better run. I'm not a good runner, but I'm a better runner today than I was two years ago. But, but it's because it took time and effort and intentionality. My body doesn't just drift towards being real good at that, okay? So living a wise life, if you want to live a life of wisdom, it requires that same kind of determination. It doesn't just flow out of half-hearted engagement and desire. That's why in the text, Paul says at the very beginning, look carefully, look carefully at how you walk. It takes concern and time and energy and effort to make decisions that are pleasing to God. And we're ultimately not holding our lives up to like a mirror of ourselves or to the mirror looking at the people around us. We're ultimately holding our lives up to the standard of God's word. It's why I just say not just intentionality to live wise, but biblically based intentionality. That's what verse 17 says. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now here, understanding the will of the Lord, it's not talking about who does God want me to marry necessarily or what is my next job. Understanding the will of the Lord, discerning his will is a matter of knowing God through what he has revealed to us in his word. It's wanting to follow the things that he has told us to do in Scripture. One Wednesday night, a couple months ago, Corey, uh, I went to the youth group and Corey asked me just kind of at the very end, if you could go back in time and give young Ryan just some advice on, on what to do in this time, what would you do? And there were a couple things I said, but one is that uh, I would, I would want to know and love God's word more and more at that age. Like giving your life and giving time to spending time in God's word is not a waste because Especially if, if you're younger, just know that what you're doing when you are spending time in God's word, whether that's personally or here in church or with your friends studying the Bible, you are digging your, for yourself a reservoir. Okay, You're making a reservoir of truth and beauty and goodness, and you'll need that because there, there are going to be times when you are in a very complex moral situation. Or, or you have a difficult decision to make. Or there's suffering that comes in your life. And in, when you're in those times, and especially if you're, if you feel dry and parched, you'll be so glad that you have built, have you have built a deep reservoir of trust in God's Word. So that it just kind of flows naturally from your lips and into your mind when you get in those situations. We are not wasting our time. If we want to walk Wisely, the foundation of God's word is what he has given us to walk in. And mostly, if we want to walk wisely, uh, I appreciate Adam's prayer. It's not, if we want to comfort one another, it's not just that we're using words that we kind of come up with. We want to use the words that God has given us. And the wisest thing that God has told us to do is to follow Christ. If you want wisdom, you can have some smarts. But, but wisdom resides ultimately in Jesus. If you flip over to Colossians 2, chapter 3, that's exactly what we're told there. In Him, in Christ, are hidden all, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
hoping to live a wise life just by reading some good self-help books, listening to some podcasts, finding some great articles online, it's not going to cut it. The wisdom that we need is found in Jesus, and he has spoken to us by his word so that we can walk in confidence in him. So if we want to live wisely, we need God's word. The second thing we need, giving ourselves to God's word in this way, it's essential because living wisely means using our time for what's best. Using our time for what's best. If you grew up on the King James Version, or if you still have a King James Version, verse 16, which uh, in the ESV we use here in the Pew Bibles, it says, making the best use of the time. Uh, King James says, redeeming the time. It's because that, that word is used elsewhere in Galatians 3.13, Galatians 4.5. It talks about Christ buying us back, redeeming us from the curse of the law. And it's not totally analogous. We're not like buying time back from Satan or anything like that, but, but you can. I think that's a helpful analogy. The days are going in this way. They move naturally towards evil. And we're saying we want to use everything in us to take our time that's going in that way and pull it back and to use it for good and spend our time for greater purposes. And this using time wisely, it means that we're doing more than just surviving. Uh, This is where maybe the analogy, this is where the analogy of thinking about trying to live in dire circumstances and thinking about some kids in the Colombian jungle is different. They weren't trying to build like a theme park. They were trying to live, to survive. And if we're careful, sometimes we can be tempted to say all that is required of me as a Christian is that I kind of, I know what not to do. And so I'm going to hold myself away and, and keep evil on the outside. Uh, there's, there's two problems with that. One is that uh, we're sinners. So like as much as you want to hold evil off on the outside and kind of put it on the periphery of your life, you have to live with yourself. And so you're going to be fighting sin. Beyond that, we're called to do more than just survive. We're called to make the best use of the time that God has given us. Our goal is not just avoiding evil, but actively seeking to do what is good, to do what is best. Uh, Think about, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 25, in a place like the parable of the talents. Uh, If you remember there, a man, a wealthy man, goes away on business, and he he entrusts his property to Three different servants. So he gives one servant five talents. And talent is like a year's worth of wages. So it's a significant sum of money that he gives to these servants. He gives one servant five talents, one servant three talents, and one servant one talent. And the man goes away. He comes back and he, he calls for an accounting. What have you done? What has happened with my money? Where, uh, what is, what has gone on? And the person who had five talents, the person who had two talents, they both have doubled their money. They've, They've invested it and made more. And and the one who had one talent said that he was fearful. And so what he did is he hid his talent in the ground. He didn't lose it, but he didn't make any money either. Didn't invest it and gain interest. And the master's response to this is not, hey, I I get that. I understand that. He says, you wicked and slothful servant. Master rebukes and even punishes the servant because fear of loss led him to inaction. And brothers and sisters, we can be tempted, I think, to live in this way. We know that the days are evil, and instead of seeking to make the best use of the time, we can just pass the time until things are better. We don't want it to be said of us, though. We don't want to hear when the master comes back. 
that we simply tried to survive. We want to be told, well done, good and faithful servant. You have invested this and made more. Enter into the rest of your master. We want to make the best of every opportunity that we have. And that doesn't mean that we can't ever enjoy leisure time, that you can't have a family vacation. But we, and the other, the other thing to be mindful of, and this goes for many of us in this church, uh, for some of you, uh, specifically as we pray for the Sissons as they go back to Papua New Guinea, for some of you, making the best use of your time is going to a different country and spending your life for the spread of the gospel among people who don't know Jesus or where churches are being built. And I'm praying actively that some of you, maybe even some of you kids, would spend your life for that. And that would be the best use of your time. Uh, that is not the only way, though. And I think the Sissons would tell you that as well. For many of you, the best use of your time, moms, maybe, maybe it's sitting and playing on the ground with your kids and talking to them about the things of the Lord. It looks really mundane. Dads, happy Father's Day. Uh, maybe the best use of your time is coming in from work and then going and doing the dishes to serve your wife. Kids, the best use of your time, it, it may, it may revol- involve great sacrifice and it may involve obeying your parents and cleaning your room. <laughs> right? Don't think that making the best use of your time is not just like the most grandiose. It's, it has to be incredible sacrifice. It does. It involves sacrifice every single day in the nitty gritty details of your life. Sometimes the most mundane things we do It's the way that we are making the best use of our time to serve the Lord, to love our neighbor, to care for those that God has entrusted to us. Don't despise those small things either. God uses those. You may have big things that the world looks at and claps their hands that you do at one day, but if you spend your life loving your family and spreading the gospel to your neighbors and in your work, praise God. What wonderful use of your time. But in all this, we want to submit our lives to living wisely for the sake of God and His kingdom. Okay, so here's, this is Paul's first point. If you, uh, if you've not been with me, come back. Here's the summary, okay? We'll go into point number two here in a minute, but here's, here's what up to this point. Verses 15 through 18. Sin and brokenness in the world mean that the days are evil. That things float towards brokenness and not towards wholeness. And for those who are redeemed by Christ, we have to work wisely against that tide. And it takes biblically-based intentionality so that we know how to use our days well, make the best use of our time. And then in verse 18, Paul is going to move to his second point. And here, he kind of starts with this negative command that can feel like a really sharp turn, like an abrupt shift in topic. So just look at the first part of verse 18 here. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Okay, we, we've been talking kind of high level, living wisely for the Lord amid evil days. So why this sudden shift into a specific detail that kind of feels like it fits more in what Kyle talked about the past two weeks? I think if you look back at verse 17, you should see the connection here. In verse 17, in light of living in evil days, Paul says to not be foolish. And the connection then between verse 17 and verse 18 is that drunkenness is one of the most specific embodiments of foolishness that we see in Scripture and that we can partake in. If living wisely, if we've said that living wisely requires you to be intentional 
and it requires you to make the most of your time, drunkenness is voluntarily giving all of that up. It's voluntarily giving up our capacity for good judgment and squandering our time. Now, Paul does not completely outlaw alcohol here or elsewhere in Scripture. If you have questions about kind of the whole counsel of God regarding what the Bible says, I'm happy to talk to you. Uh, you can find me after church or sometime this week. But, but we should here see that drunkenness is a temptation that Christians are called to always avoid. It's a temptation we're called to avoid. So even for those of you who do drink socially, this is just a sober warning. Take this as a sober warning of the way in which we can easily be moved from control to loss of control. And from wisdom into foolishness. Uh, The temptation in drunkenness is the thought that losing control of your life through alcohol for a time, that it will either numb pain, that it will lead to a good time perhaps, but the reality is that drunkenness keeps you from living as God wants you. It's a move away from that. It does not solve the problems. It actually invites more. Being drunk is a way to give in to living in evil days. And instead, Paul says in verse 18 that we ought to be filled with the Spirit. Now, the connection between being drunk and being wine, you can kind of think about it. Like my initial reading is thinking through, here's a glass and you can fill it with wine. And here's me and you can fill me with the Spirit. That's not exactly, I think, what the analogy that Paul is making here. And that's mostly because when, when you become a Christian, you receive not just like a little taste of the Holy Spirit that kind of comes and goes. You receive the Holy Spirit. Full stop. Period. He lives in you. You don't just have a piece of him. You get them all. And praise God for that. So the analogy is not just like how much of something we have. I think the connection here between being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit, it again comes down to this idea of control. Of control. Okay, so if someone has had too much to drink, uh, a phrase that is used of them is we would say they are under the influence of alcohol. They're under the influence. In contrast, a Christian who is filled with the Spirit is under His influence. Being influenced by the Spirit living in you and controlling you. Not like a mindless robot just walking around doing Spirit stuff, but that He is giving you helping you have wise choices. Think about this. If you're filled with the Spirit, you have the fruit of the Spirit. And in contrast to losing control, being under the influence of alcohol, what is the last fruit of the Spirit listed? Self-control. You have self-control. The Spirit, if He is the one who is under, you are under control. He is helping you have control. Theologian John Stott, he summarizes the contrast between these kind of two fillings like this. The result of drunkenness, Paul writes, is debauchery. People who are drunk give way to wild, dissolute, and uncontrolled actions. They behave like animals, and indeed worse than animals. The results of being filled with the Spirit are totally different. If excessive alcohol dehumanizes, turning a human being into a beast, the fullness of the Spirit makes us more human, because He makes us like Christ. And that's what we need to live wisely in evil days. We don't need an escape into losing control. We need divine influence, divine help by God's spirit so that we can live wisely and have self-control. And those who live in this way, live controlled by the spirit, they have a distinctive look about them. There's some results that come from that. 
So the, the rest of this passage is really just playing out. What does it look like if you are controlled by the Spirit? If you are filled with the Spirit, how does that play itself out in your life? Three things that Paul touches on here. We'll do the first two uh, a little bit longer and the, second, the third one really shortly. The first thing that Paul says, those filled with the Spirit sing. Those who are filled with the Spirit sing. Look at verse 19. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Near the beginning of the first book in the Harry Potter novels, one of the characters, a guy named Albus Dumbledore, he leads the students in singing the school song. And in a book that's all kind of about uh, how cool magic is or something like that, I love how this starts, like before any of this happens. Dumbledore, he, he wipes his eyes, uh, moved out of the singing that's happened in front of him, and he says, ah, music, a magic beyond all that we do here. I love that. I love that. Even, even people who do not belong to the faith realize that God has created us. God has made us in such a way that sometimes I can say something to you and then that may, it may just kind of ricochet off you. And then you can come in here and sing kind of the exact same thing that I said to you. And God would just uses that. He uses the voices of the people around you to know what it is to walk in him. To walk with him. To live obediently. It's not that music is magical. It's that God has created us that way. He's filled you, brothers and sisters, with his spirit so that you can be vessels of ministry to others. So one reason we sing here is not just because we need to fill some time. We sing because God commands us to. Because it's a way in which we show we're filled with the Spirit. And don't miss here who we're addressing as we sing every Sunday. One of the things, I, I hope you come in here, and it's very obvious, in pretty much every song we sing, we want to sing heartily, giving praise to God. Uh, David works hard throughout the week to choose songs that are going to exalt Jesus in our sight. So that you can't walk away. Even if I preach a bad sermon, you will hear great songs. Praise God. Relief for me in lots of ways. Okay, so we, we want to sing songs that are to the Lord. We come here to praise Him. And not just to move our mouths and have words come out. That's fine. That's good. But what we see here, we need heartfelt. We're praising the Lord in our hearts. And I don't think that just means quietly because it says singing. But I do think it means we're coming and through the overflow of who God is and what He's done, we are returning a sacrifice of praise to Him. Every single Sunday when we come together. But don't miss the the other audience. Coming here and praising the Lord, that may seem obvious, but there is a second audience that Paul points out. And it's one another. We are addressing one another as we sing. So listen, brothers and sisters, uh, kids in this audience, if you think like, I don't really have a ministry in this church, you, you have a ministry here on Sunday mornings. All of you. The, the most important instrument is, is not the, the piano or the guitar. It's ultimately not even the voices of the people here on stage. The most important instrument that God has given his church is the voices of his people, of all of you together. You are vessels of God's spirit, used of God as you address one another in singing. 
on November 22nd, 2017, on what was supposed to be uh, a routine checkup. Many of you know the story, some of you may not, but, but Laura and I went into an ultrasound for Laura's third pregnancy. And we were heartbroken when the ultrasound technician had uh, 16, 18 weeks, could not find a heartbeat. And that was on a Wednesday. And the following Sunday, Laura and I walked into church a few minutes late and we sat closer to the back, not exactly in our normal seating because we knew that maybe it'd be a pretty difficult day. And it was difficult for us to sing that day as well. But our church family ministered to our souls. Because they sang with gusto, when peace like a river attendeth my way, and when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And brothers and sisters, you may, you may not like some of the songs that we sing, that's okay. It may not be your favorite song, but you're not just singing them for yourself. You, you may not know what it's like to struggle with assurance of your salvation. But when we come together and we sing, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast, you might be singing that for the sister who's two rows in front of you. You, you may not be afraid and anxious. That may not be your personality. You may have rock-solid trust and have courage in all situations, but you can encourage the kids sitting next to you when you say, a mighty fortress. It's our God. He's a bulwark who never fails. You may be walking faithfully with God, but the, the brother who is right behind you, he is thinking about walking away from Jesus. He is thinking about embracing his sin because life is difficult. And you can encourage him by saying, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. But here, here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. And know, know this, brother, sister. You, you come here and you minister to others week in and week out, but there may be coming a day when you come in here and when you can't sing. When you are the one who is, who is downcast and who's broken and you're the one struggling and thinking, I don't know if I can, I don't know where I'm supposed to be, but I, I know I'm supposed to be here with God's people. And I may not be able to listen like I want. I may not be able to sing like I want. But in that day, dear friend, know that we, your family, commit. We are committed to ministering to your soul in our singing. So friends, don't think that this time we get together, that what we do before this, that it's kind of throwaway. That you just kind of come in, hear the word, get your spiritual fill up and go out. You're missing out if that's the case. We want you. We need your ministry. To us. And praise God that ministry of the word is not done just at a pulpit, but it's done as we pray and it's done as we sing by you. So if you want to fight against evil, against the evil days, and if you want to live wisely and make the most of our time together, come. Come and give yourself to ministering to one another, to singing loudly to the Lord and for one another. Second thing that Paul tells us that those who are filled with the Spirit do. Those who are filled with the Spirit give thanks. They give thanks. That's verse 20. Be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, one of the things that Israel is regularly kind of criticized for, one of the things that they're constantly falling into is grumbling and complaining 
I'm, I'm always, if I'm reading through the Bible, and uh, especially in the book of Exodus, I'm just always stunned at Exodus chapter 15. Okay, so Exodus 14, God throws the Egyptian army into the sea. Israel never lifts a weapon, a sword, a bow and arrow, anything. And God destroys their pursuers. And the first half of Exodus 15, right after that, is a song that they sing in praise to God. And then three verses after they finish that song, it says, And the people grumbled against Moses. They, they begin their campaign of murmuring and grumbling. And I can read through that and think, oh, those, those foolish Israelites, what are they thinking? And then I can look at myself and say, I can leave this church and say, thank you, Lord. And three minutes into my car ride home, start complaining. Kids, have you ever gotten a gift from someone? And as soon as you open it, instead of thinking, oh, thank you, mom and dad, you think my brother or sister got a better gift than I did. Or what I really wanted was what my friend down the street has. Uh, adults, have you kind of been scrolling through Instagram, through Facebook, and you've, you've seen the exotic places that your friends have gone, the, the relationships maybe that some of your family members are enjoying, and what comes out of your mouth and seeing that is not, thank you, Lord, for that, but why couldn't that be me? Why not me? Envy and strife and murmuring, those against God and wonder, that is not the way in which the Spirit leads us. Throughout this book, multiple times in this book, and here again, we are told that God's people filled with His Spirit are meant to be people of thanksgiving. That we give thanks to the Lord. Now, I I don't want to be trite here. Okay, there is a a way to take this text and to, I think, misapply it in ways that can even be harmful. So we we don't give thanks for wickedness that we see in the world, right? We, We, there is a category in the Bible Uh, most of the psalms, if you want to kind of weigh them out by what they're doing, most of the psalms are psalms of lament over things that are hard and difficult. So we we don't thank God when we see a school shooting or abuse or drug overdose. We, We should recognize evil for what it is and not pretend that those things are actually good things. But even in the midst of hard circumstances, even in the midst of life threatening circumstances, we can thank God for his presence in the midst of that. We can thank God that he has not lost control in the midst of that. But that he is still the sovereign king over all the earth. So no matter the circumstances you walk through, even if you're not thanking God for the circumstance in which you find yourself, you can thank him for him being with you. Walking with you through the valley of the shadow of death itself. We can praise God that he uses even those difficult circumstances. Not just that he's with us, but he uses that for our good and for his glory. We should be moved to thanksgiving for this. I I remember hearing a testimony from a brother who lived in Saudi Arabia. Uh, I was in Washington, D.C. for a weekend, and this brother was giving testimony at a church on a Sunday night. And he had become a Christian in Saudi Arabia through the ministry of an illegal radio station. He had heard the gospel preached through this, and he came to know the Lord. He somehow got his hands on a Bible, and he was still listening to this radio station that had to move around and change frequencies it was it was broadcasting on. And he knew that he wanted to be around other Christians, but he, he didn't know any other Christians. And then somehow he found out about this group of, of believers meeting about four hours away. And so every Sunday, 
he would get in his car and drive four hours to go meet with his church, be encouraged by them, spend the day with them, and come four hours back on Sunday nights. And I, I, uh, I, I think I complained when in Chicago we drove like 30 minutes to church and I was like, what are we doing? And complain about that. And this, this brother though, what I was so struck by is instead of, instead of being there and complaining about the hard circumstances he was in, he spent that time thanking God for the church that had supported him. He saw that, that eight hour drive on a Sunday to be with believers as a gift. And he wished there were believers closer to him. Yes, but he said, you know, I, I know that God has given me this and I thank God for his people. The gift that he has given me. Maybe even this afternoon. If, if this is you, if you kind of feel, you know, I am one who is prone to grumble, to complain. Maybe give some time, this, even over lunch, just cultivating some thankfulness in your hearts. That's not just like good self-help stuff. That's biblical help. That's what the Bible has called us to. So over lunch, talk with your parents, kids. Talk with your spouses, your friends, your coworkers this week about ways in which you're thankful. About what God has done in your life. And if you feel like today you're weighed down by circumstances, if you're lamenting loss and heartache, you can even now stop to give thanks to God for his enduring presence. He is with you. In all of these things. That he has not lost control. Friends, if we hope to live wisely in the midst of evil days. If we want to make the best use of our time. We are meant to be people who give thanks to God in Christ. In all circumstances. And finally. And briefly. Those filled with the Spirit. Humbly submit to one another. It's verse 21. Be filled with the Spirit. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I'll be brief here because there are contours to this that we'll be discussing, especially next week, but in the weeks to come, and as Paul moves on to talking about different relationships. But the principle here is clear. If you live in right relationship to Jesus, if you revere him for who he is, that's kind of the ground, and what flows out of that is that we want to live in right relationship to others. We want to even willfully submit to one another. If we follow a humble Savior, one who willfully gave up his life, submitted himself to the point of death on a cross for our sake, we should not consider it too high a price to humble ourselves in love and service to those around us. Friends, that is the call of this text, to live wisely, spirit-filled lives in the midst of evil days. We, we cannot just go with the flow and kind of float down the river of time and assume that if we just kind of go with the way things are, it's going to work out. The current always flows towards brokenness. And it flows towards sin and it flows towards sorrow. But God in his mercy has told us to wake up. And he's given us his spirit. Friends, he's given you everything you need to swim against the current. If it sounds hard, it is, but it's not hard because you don't have the resources. He's given you what you need, friends. And he has called us in his wisdom to follow him. So I want to pray, I want to close our time in praying that we would do this, that we would follow Christ, where all wisdom is found, that he would strengthen our resolves this week as we seek to live for him and for our good and his glory.
Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the clarity that you have given us in your word. We thank you that we have what we need in your spirit and you have spoken to us. So I pray that even this week, as we face difficult circumstances at work, as we have conversation with family members that require such wisdom and such care, as we want to speak the truth and love to our husbands and our wives and our kids and our parents, we ask, God, that you would fill us with your spirit. And even now, Lord, as we sing to you and to one another, would you encourage our hearts and help us walk boldly with you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.